Welcome to the Born to Be a Badass podcast, the show about the intersection of women's empowerment, embodiment, and self-defense, and what women need to know and do to enhance their physical, mental, and emotional safety. Here's your host, fourth-degree black belt and self-protection expert, Cynthia Jalakor-Rude. Welcome to the Born to Be a Badass podcast. I'm your host, Cynthia Jolikar-Rude. Today, I am going to share with you some of the biggest myths about self-defense and a different way to think about each of them. So these are things that I have heard when I have been talking to women out and about and also talking to students in my class and primarily through talking with women who were interested in the class, but had a lot of concerns, worries, or objections to even wanting to learn self-defense. So these were things that were kind of holding them back and inhibiting them. So I think it's really important that we address some of the false beliefs about what self-defense truly is. So I'm going to address 10 of them in this episode, and there are more, so we'll deal with those in a future one. The first one up is that self-defense is just about fighting. And this comes, I think, from just common understanding, common usage of the terms self-defense. I mean, the word defense sort of implies a fight. You're defending against something. And if you look up self-defense in a dictionary, you will find some pretty common ideas in the different definitions. So I'm going to share a couple of those with you now. Merriam-Webster defines self-defense as the act of defending oneself, one's property, or a close relative, which to me is a bit of a circular definition that doesn't really help very much. Dictionary.com defines it as the act of defending one's person when physically attacked as by countering blows or overcoming an assailant. The criminal law definition is the right to prevent suffering, force, or violence through the use of a sufficient level of counteracting force or violence. And the Legal Information Institute defines it as the use of force to protect oneself from an attempted injury by another. Now, if you think about those, they all imply fighting. They're all assuming that self-defense occurs when somebody else tries to harm you physically. And it's true that that is one aspect of self-defense is really dealing with a physical threat. But I look at it a little bit differently, and this is largely thanks to working first with Tony Blower and later with other great coaches like Rory Miller, Tammy Yard-McCracken, Melissa Salt, a whole bunch of other people who share a slightly different view on self-defense. Coach Blauer languages it very well in defining self-defense as the act of choosing safety when danger is imminent. And for me, that opens up a whole raft of possibilities because you're not saying you have to wait until somebody's trying to lay hands on you or shoot you or stab you. You can take action to get to safety 
when you see danger is imminent. So it allows you to actually detect and avoid danger. It allows you to defuse and deescalate a situation. And you really only have to fight if you can't avoid or you can't change the dynamics of a situation so that it doesn't go violent. I like that a whole lot better because in talking with women, the number one thing that most women want is to not have to fight in the first place. And obviously, who the hell wants to have to fight for your life or fight to not get raped if you can actually develop some strategies and tools so that you don't end up in that situation where that kind of an act is likely? So self-defense is not just about fighting. It's about your mindset, your attitudes, and your beliefs. It's about mental and emotional preparation. So being able to recognize behaviors and be able to create and maintain or enforce boundaries. It's also developing skills so that you can use situational awareness, which is a whole lot more than just not looking at your phone. It really encompasses being able to read an environment and read people and use all of your senses to take information in and then to take action based on that. So this different approach to self-defense that includes all of the things that come before a violent encounter, to me, is much more useful. And I think that if you're going to learn how to keep yourself safe, it's essential that you really focus a large amount of your effort and your time and your energy on learning all of these things that come about, the non-fighting skills. And when you do enter into the realm of learning what you should do if you actually do end up in a hands-on physical encounter, I would encourage you to not seek out something that is complex motor skill-based choreographed training, which would be more of the traditional martial arts. I would encourage you to look for somebody like me who teaches you how to get in touch with your natural tools, what your body's actually designed to do, and to learn how to harness those tools, how to tap into those tools and how to use them, where the good targets are and how you can actually put your tools on the targets. So for me, this myth that self-defense is just about fighting is a huge one that keeps women from even having a conversation or stepping into a class because many women actually are also dealing with some of the other myths that make it almost impossible to envision fighting. And the truth is women are already pretty damn good at a lot of the non-fighting skills of listening to instincts and intuition and being able to tune into another person's behavior and emotions and start to get a feel for the dynamics that are underlying a particular interaction. So women actually already have a bit of a head start when it comes to learning how to detect and avoid danger. And of course, you can always build on that by learning the things that we don't know, which is usually how predators, criminals, creeps, opportunistic perpetrators actually choose people to target, the decision-making process that they go through, 
and some of the behaviors, both physical and mental, that they may use in order to get you into a space and a situation or an environment where you can be victimized. So learning about the bad guys is also very helpful. And you won't do any of that if you think that self-defense is just about fighting. It isn't. The second myth that I want to tackle is the one that says, if I learn how to protect myself, I will attract violence to me. Now, it may just be because I spent a long time in California and was around a lot of people who had firm belief in the law of attraction. But there are a lot of people who believe this, that if you learn how to defend yourself, if you learn about violence and you learn about violent encounters and you learn about predators, that you're actually going to start attracting those people and that behavior into your life. Well, I think that's dead wrong. And I think actually, and what I've seen is that when you learn about violence and you know what to look for and you become tapped into your own power and your own abilities, you actually end up avoiding violent encounters. And you also attract other good people who are all about empowerment and courage and looking out for each other. When you learn about predators and you learn about what they look for in potential victims or targets, that allows you to move through the world in a different way, to present yourself in a different way. And one of the best ways that we can avoid being in a bad situation is to look like a pretty rotten target. We want to look as though we are confident and that we move through the world owning our space. We want to look like we will be too much to handle or really hard to deal with. Because the truth is that barring a very, very small percentage of sort of the apex predators who are driven by a slightly different motivation, most of the bad guys, and I say that in quotes because it can be women as well, most of them really don't want to have to work for you know what it is they're after whether that's you yourself or a resource that you have your money your car or something else they really don't want to have to work hard they don't want to have to get hurt they don't want people to see what's going on or hear what's going on because the odds of a courageous bystander or law enforcement Noticing and, and engaging go up when other people are paying attention. You know, they don't want witnesses to what's happening. And their number one overriding desire is to not get caught. So when you can present yourself to the world as being a very unattractive target, and I don't mean that you look unattractive, I just mean that your behaviors, the way you carry yourself and the way you interact, all send out a message saying, don't mess with me. I am not the victim you are looking for. When you can do that, the odds of you being in a situation where you have to deal with violence go way down. So this belief that if you learn how to protect yourself, you're going to actually attract violence to you, I don't buy. I don't, I don't see that in the women that I work with. I haven't experienced that myself. I've experienced and seen the exact opposite. So 
If that's you and you believe in the law of attraction, I would invite you to think about it a little bit differently. Many of the people who teach self-protection like I do, I mean, all of us are good people. We only do it because we want to make good humans safer. We're all about helping you tap into your own abilities and empowering yourself. So when you're in an environment, when you're working with people like that, and the people in the classes and the programs that you attend are just like you, good people who don't want to be victimized, who want to be able to take a stand for themselves and for others, for their loved ones, their friends, their families, then you're in a good place. You're attracting good things. You're not attracting violence. Myth number three is I'm too old, too small, too weak, too out of shape, too whatever to be able to protect myself. A bad guy will just overpower me and there's nothing I can do. And I understand why women have this belief. It's because we're thinking of protecting ourselves the same way we think about a competition or a contest. So if you're talking about an athletic endeavor, whether that's weightlifting or even martial arts, how big you are, how strong you are, how old you are, you know, how in shape you are, all of those things really do make a difference in how you perform because it's an athletic competition. But that's not what we're talking about. If it comes down to a physical encounter where we are fighting to not be raped or abducted or killed, we cannot let anything keep us from fighting tooth and nail as hard as we need to, as hard as we can, from tapping into the indignation, uh, outrage, and just going berserk until we do enough damage to the person who's trying to hurt us that we can get to safety. And the truth is that, as Coach Blauer likes to refer to us, we are all human weapons. We all have a human weapon system. As human beings, we are all born with the tools that we need, and we just need to learn how to use them. Also, good news is both you and the person who is attacking you or assaulting you are human beings. And so, what we know about vulnerable areas of the body and uh, ways to disrupt or break those body parts applies not just to us, but it applies to that other person as well. Tim Larkin has a great system called target focus training, which is all about how do you apply your tools on targets so that you can break or disable, render unconscious or even dead definitely unable to continue an assault. How do you use those tools on targets in a way that you can accomplish that goal so that you can be safe? Now, the key is in learning how to use your natural tools. We all have elbows. We all have knees and feet. We have teeth. We have shins and forearms. We all have the same body parts. And pretty much every part can be weaponized. And it's not a complicated thing. We often teach how to use an elbow. 
by saying, hey, do you ever ride in a car? And most people, yes, they've ridden in a car. Have you ever reached for your seatbelt? It's like, yes, of course. Well, that motion of reaching up over your shoulder to grab the seatbelt and pull it down across you, that reaching over your shoulder motion is an elbow. It's a horizontal elbow. So learning how to tap into your natural tools, it's actually quite simple. We don't have an opportunity when we're in a situation where we have to fight for our lives to become younger, stronger, more in shape. We have to deal with it as we are. And that's where the power of your mindset really comes in. Because when you can tap into and use as your fuel a sense of indignation, of fury even, Melissa Salt really talks about being fierce and ferocious. And that's what you have to be when you can tap into that and use the weapons, the tools that you have on great targets, and you're committed to not stopping until you're safe, then the odds of you being overpowered diminish pretty darn quickly. And honestly, what would you rather do? Would you rather just say, you know, there's no way for me to protect myself. A bad guy is just going to have his way with me. Or do you want to give yourself a chance and say, I am who I am. I'm in the body that I'm in and I'm going to maximize myself. I am going to learn as much as I can about how to use what I have so that at least I have a chance. Which would you rather do? I hope that your choice is to say, you know, my body is my body. I've got what I've got. It's going to change over time. But if I can learn the principles of how to use it, then I know I'm not defenseless. And I may not win every fight, but I have a chance. I have more of a chance than I thought I did. And I hope you understand how important having the mindset and that emotional drive and will to survive is because you need that to go along with your natural tools. The fourth myth that I want to tackle is that it takes years to learn how to be safe. Now, again, this belief is understandable. I, I had it myself, honestly. I really did. But what I was doing and what many people do when they hold this belief is mixing up martial arts and self-defense. They're two entirely different things. It does take years to learn a martial art. And I say that as a fourth degree black belt who spent more than 20 years getting there. It does take time. And the reason that it takes time is because you are learning complex motor skills. You are learning choreographed movements. Those things are all, if your partner does this, or if the assailant does this, then you do that. Not only is it an if this, then that situation, but most of the time you're learning multiple options for how to deal with each specific potential attack. And there's something called Hicks Law that basically says that when you have a lot of options, you're slower to make a decision. And when you have fewer options or just one option, then you're really quick to make a decision. 
So this also has to do with how your mind or actually your brain functions, because these complex motor skill movements that you learn in martial arts and in many self-defense classes that are based on this sort of choreographed, if this, then that model, all of those things live in your cognitive brain. This is your thinking, your rational thinking, executive function part of your brain. And what we know about violence and about violent encounters and being in a situation that's terrifying is that that part of your brain gets hijacked by the amygdala. It gets hijacked by what we call sometimes your reptilian or your lizard brain, which is your survival brain. It's the one that it's the part of the brain that is just all about survival. And that part of your brain basically takes over when you're in one of these situations. And it really is very simple. It's focused on gross motor movements. It starts with flinching, pushing away danger. And it's not at all about thinking, analyzing, making choices. And it's certainly not all about remembering something that you've memorized and practiced that is a complex motor skill or a choreographed sequence of movements. The good news is that if you learn a system that teaches you how to tap into your natural tools, and it's based on your brain and how your brain and body are designed to work, then what you'll do is you'll learn what's going to happen when you get startled, what's going to happen when something happens suddenly. That's the realm of that reptilian brain. And then how do you convert from that? How do you get to a point where you're mentally, emotionally, psychologically sort of in charge of yourself again so that your cognitive brain has caught up to what's happening? And then how do you transition to those other tools that you have learned? So I'm not saying don't learn something like a martial art. I I would never say that because they're awesome. And if you learn them or you have those skills, you've got even more tools at your disposal. But those aren't the things that you're going to need right in the first instance of an assault. They're just tools that you'll be able to employ, just like you know, grabbing an improvised defensive tool from your environment. So the reason it takes years to learn how to be safe if you're doing martial arts is that what you're doing is you're you're actually developing skills that your cognitive brain is in charge of. The reason it doesn't take years to learn how to be safe actually is that you can learn how to tap into what your body naturally will do and how to convert that into other kinds of movement very quickly in a matter of hours or even you know less than a day. So it doesn't take years to learn how to be safe. You can become safer very quickly by building a new mindset and by learning how to use your natural abilities. Tapping into what's in you means that you won't forget it either because it's not memorized. And it's kind of the thing like once you get it, that light bulb doesn't ever turn off. That switch never gets unswitched. You're not memorizing complicated moves. You're tapping into what's already innate and natural in you. 
and it doesn't take years to learn how to do that. I will say that once you learn the basics, it's great to continue to learn and train. And that's because when you do more movement and you get the opportunity to do scenario-based training, then you're building mental blueprints in your brain that make that processing and that shift from, you know, kind of the oh shit moment where your primal system takes over to the point where you can start to use your cognitive skills. Having those mental blueprints can help speed that up and you're not having to create things on the fly. So I I love being able to train further. I don't think I'm ever going to stop learning how to be safe, but it's not the same thing as having to learn a martial art and get tested on how well you can do a nice technique and doing it with a willing partner who you know is not really going to hurt you. As a woman and as a mother of daughters, I know that life can feel pretty damn scary and with good reason. Whether you've experienced violence before or you're just aware that it's out there and it stops you from moving freely around this world, you're not alone. The numbers are not pretty. It's estimated that 35% of women worldwide have experienced either physical or sexual intimate partner violence or violence by a non-partner. The National Crime Victimization Survey reported that more than 600 women in the U.S. are raped or sexually assaulted every day. But I want you to know that you don't have to live in fear. You and your daughter can and deserve to navigate this world feeling confident, prepared, and most of all, completely capable of taking care of yourself and your loved ones because you were born ready. When you learn how to recognize and use the self-protection tools that you were born with, your innate built-in self-defense system, you can keep yourself safe. And I can show you how to do that. In my new program, Born Ready, the three life-saving self-defense tools for empowered women, you will get a quick, powerful introduction to key self-defense concepts and tools to jumpstart your safety. Here's just a bit of what you'll cover. The first module is all about your amazing body, how your body and brain are designed to protect you. You landed on the planet well-equipped to keep yourself safe. And yeah, we've been domesticated, but this is where you will learn how to get in touch with your built-in protection system. Module two is all about nonviolent postures. Now, most assaults do not start out of the blue with violence. They start with an interaction between two or more people that goes down the wrong path. So in this module, you discover how to stop a situation from becoming unsafe and how to keep yourself safe if it does go violent. Module three is tools and targets. It's all about how to use your human weapon tools to fight if you should ever become the victim of a true ambush, somebody attacking you with no warning, or if you become involved in a confrontation that turns violent. This is exactly what you need to lay the foundation for your personal safety so that you can begin navigating the world with confidence. This course is an investment in your safety and in the safety of your children and loved ones. It's an investment with an invaluable return, personal power, confidence, and safety. If you are interested in learning what can save your life 
please click the link in the show notes or go to www.cynthiajolikerrude.com slash born ready to find out how you can enroll in the born ready course. I'm offering it to podcast listeners for just $97. If you enroll using the coupon code podcast, you can make this investment with absolutely no risk because you are covered by my 100% money back guarantee. If within a week of enrolling in the course, you don't feel uplifted, encouraged, and empowered to keep yourself safe, then just send me an email and I'll send you a refund. You and I both know that every woman is born to be a badass. We all have innate power and abilities, but we often don't know that they're there or we don't know how to unleash them. So enroll in Born Ready to feel ready, to be confident, and to live with the freedom that you deserve. The fifth idea or myth that I want to tackle is I'll be too scared to do anything. I'll just freeze or comply. That's a pretty common belief as well. And again, it's something that I really understand. And I think we've all probably experienced moments in life where something has happened and we've just frozen and not known what to do. Learning how to navigate through fear is very helpful because we're never going to eliminate it. I would never tell you you that you're going to be able to be fearless. I know a lot of people talk about wanting to be fearless and that's not true. I mean, they don't become fearless they become more capable of managing their fear. And so this idea that I'll be too scared to do anything. Yes, you, you may be too scared to move and you can learn how to navigate through fear. You can learn what's going on in your mind that is creating that fear. What are you visualizing? What past experiences are you remembering? What future possible horrible outcomes are you imagining? What are some of the beliefs that you hold that may not actually be true? You know, there people have these beliefs like if I get shot, I'm gonna die. And it's possible, yes, you you may die if you get shot, but there are scores, thousands, and way more than thousands of people who have been shot and not died. But having that belief when you see somebody who's confronting you with a firearm can be enough to immobilize you. So when you learn how to navigate through fear and you start to figure out what some of your underlying beliefs are and assumptions and what you're visualizing, then you can go into a situation and yeah, you may, you will experience a fear spike, but rather than letting it put you in the fear loop and just staying in there, looping around, being terrified and not moving, you can learn how to navigate through that so that you start to feel challenged instead of threatened so that you can start to make a plan and take an action to change the situation so that you can start the process of getting yourself to safety. A lot of what I do when I work with people in the area of fear is work with a model that, again, Coach Blower developed called the cycle of behavior, 
or the neurocircuitry of fear. And this is something that he has been developing for decades and is now used all over the place, including by one of my friends and fellow coaches who is a psychotherapist who uses it with people who have PTSD and who have experienced other kinds of trauma. It's such a potent, valuable tool that allows you to see where you are in your fear and to start to understand what's going on inside your own head so that you can navigate through it to a a different, better conclusion than what you are afraid is going to happen. I use other tools too, but that's a, that's a great one. And the concern about being too scared to do anything is a legit concern, but it's not true that you're just kind of doomed to that and that you'll be too scared and just freeze or comply. The reason that it's a myth is because you don't have to stay in fear. I just want to say a couple words about freezing because everybody talks about fight, flight, or freeze as being fear responses. And there's actually more than those three, but the concept of freezing, the idea of freezing or being able to break a freeze or get out of a freeze is a little misguided. If you're frozen, you're frozen. What you need are some tools for your brain that will help you transition out of the freeze quicker. And so there are some things that we can do in training that will help you with that. And then there are some things that we can do that aren't physical skills that will help you with that. So creating these mental blueprints to give yourself, to give your brain some new software can also help to get you into action more quickly. And a mental blueprint is basically thinking about a scenario that you might be in and really in detail thinking through different possible options for how you might deal with it. Once you think through different options, what you're basically doing is creating little index cards in your brain or you know blueprints. That's why we call them blueprints. And if you encounter something that is similar, it doesn't even have to be exactly the same, then your brain can actually flash onto that very quickly and give you a plan. And often that is the thing that you need in order to get into action. So don't deceive yourself by thinking that you can ever reach a point where you will be free from fear, but do educate yourself and just know that everybody feels fear. Even the bad guys feel fear. And one of the great things that we can do is do something that puts the bad guy in the fear loop. We can learn how to navigate through fear and we can learn how to use it as fuel to get ourselves in action. Myth number six is one of my favorites. It's all violence is bad. I'm a good person. I don't want to have anything to do with violence. So when you believe that all violence is bad, you're kind of conceding the whole territory of violence to bad people with bad intentions. And the truth is there's all kinds of violence. If you 
look at definitions of violence, probably one of the best definitions is from the Violence Prevention Alliance, which describes violence as the intentional use of physical force or power, threatened or actual, against oneself, another person, or against a group or community that either results in or has a high likelihood of resulting in injury, death, psychological harm, maldevelopment, or deprivation. They break violence into four categories, physical, sexual, and psychological attack, and deprivation. So if you only think of it in those terms, then obviously good people do not want to use the threat or actual uh, violence against another person to to hurt or kill them. I mean, we're good people. We don't want to do that. However, I think that violence is actually on a continuum. If you think of it in terms of exerting your will in order to get somebody else to do something. Uh, as a mom, I wouldn't have said I was being violent, but if my kids were sort of trying to sneak a cookie out of the cookie jar, and I looked over at them and raised an eyebrow, they knew that that meant, uh-uh, don't do that. They knew that was a limit. And there was kind of a an implied or else. Now, it wasn't a or else I'm going to smack you or, or hurt you. It was just or else you're going to get in trouble. That's a pretty low, for me, that's like the low end of the spectrum. It's It's just exerting a little bit of pressure and will in order to change somebody's behavior. And it goes all the way up to what the Violence Prevention Alliance defines. But I think that for women, if we cede the ground of violence to perpetrators of rape, assault, abductions, murder, and other things, then we're doing ourselves a grave disservice. Women know how to be violent. We know how to use force to protect ourselves, and we know how to do it to protect our loved ones. Think about in the natural world or the animal world, all of the images of the female animal and her power and her protective spirit. There's the bear, the mama bear image who will do anything to protect her cubs, right? Any mama animal will do that, including the human. And that doesn't mean that those mamas who are protecting their young are bad for using physical force against a being that wants to to hurt their kids. It's pretty common, actually, for women to be more willing to use force to protect somebody else, their kids or their, their loved ones, than it is for them to be able to or to want to tap into that to protect themselves. And this is why we always have a conversation about self-worth and about why it matters that you as a woman continue to exist on this planet, continue to be a part of your family, why it matters that you get home to your, your family or uh, you know, what it could cost you and those who love you if you don't fight if you have to. 
And I think that you can understand that when you look at it that way, then we have to claim our own ability to be violent. And we're not the ones who are choosing to be violent. And this is really important. And I think this is the thing that makes the difference is that violence is a tool and it's one that good people need to be able to use in order to keep the bad guys from succeeding in their plans. But the person who initiates a violent encounter is not you. It's not the good person. It's the predator. It's the criminal. It's the perpetrator. They're the one that makes the decision to lay hands on you. They're the ones who chooses when and where and how it's going to happen. They're the ones who have chosen violence. So for me, if somebody chooses to use violence against me, then I have every right to use it to protect myself, to protect my family, my friends. And it doesn't make me a bad person. It makes me a powerful person. It makes me somebody who is willing to take a stand and not just let an aggressive, intimidating-looking, nasty person get away with something that they shouldn't be able to do. So I hope that gives you a little different slant on violence. You know, I, I don't like violence. I don't think any of us who work in this space like violence. I think we all hate it. And that's why we're so committed. I know that's why I'm so committed to helping women develop themselves, develop the tools and the knowledge so that they know how to deal with it and they don't just end up being victimized because they're not able to tap into their own ferocity, their own tools, and their own ability to wreak havoc on somebody who is trying to injure, abduct, or kill them. Myth number seven is that carrying self-defense tools makes you safe. Now, think about it. Do you carry anything with you? There's a big market for self-defense tools, whether that is the tactical flashlight or the tactical pen or pepper spray or a taser or some of the funkier ones like the little kitty cat ears that you slide on like rings. I mean, there's a whole bunch of self-defense tools. There's also, you know, the more obvious ones like knives and firearms or batons, coup batons, things like that. There's tons of self-defense tools. And the marketing all tells you that if you have one of these tools, then you're going to be safe. And I just want to tweak that a little bit. Having those tools, one of those tools, or more than one of those tools, can help you be safe, but you can't count on it. And here's why. Most of the time, we don't have one of those tools ready to go active in our hands. We don't walk around with them. We don't sleep with them. They are not by default, going to be accessible and ready to go in the moment where we need them. They can be if we have a little bit of warning, a little bit of time and space where we realize that things are going sideways and, and that we need to be better prepared. We might be able to get access to them. Uh, 
in order to do that, we have to practice getting access to them. We have to have them. We have to have practiced with them and we have to be able to get to them. So, you know, pepper spray in the bottom of your purse is really not going to help you unless you have plenty of time to dig around and find it and get it out, get it in your hand and get ready. So having the tool in and of itself does not make you safer. You need to have different tools for different situations. Some tools are made to be used up close, like within arm's reach. Some tools, like for example, a taser are designed to be at sort of middle distance of like 10 to 14 feet. Some are long range tools, like a firearm that can be used up close in the middle and far away. So there's all different kinds of tools and you need to have the right tool for the right situation. So if you have a tool and it's a decent tool, the first thing for you to do is actually try it out, test it out. Um, Not full on, obviously, because you don't want to hurt a friend or a partner, but test it out and see if it actually works like you think it will. One of the funniest things I've seen is something that runners are supposed to carry on their fingers. It's a little pointy thing that slides on one of your fingers like a ring, and it has a hard pointy arrow that points towards your fingertips. And the way it's marketed is that you can use that and you can hurt an attacker with that sharp pointy end of the tool. If you actually try to use it on somebody, you'll discover that it's pointing entirely the wrong direction if you punch someone. And of course, most women won't punch. That's, that's not what we typically tend to do. Uh, but even if you, if you did have a nice solid punch and you were confident with it, if you had that tool on your hand, it wouldn't actually do anything other than probably make your finger feel like crap because it's between you and whatever it is you hit. The pointy end doesn't ever come close to the face of the person who's attacking you. So you got to try your tool out and see, like, does it work as they say it would? Like, would I actually be able to do something with it? But that's just the first step. You've got to train with it. You got to practice getting to it when you're a little bit adrenalized. And you got to do some real life scenarios in training so that you can see, like, oh, well, this works really well in this environment or this scenario, but it doesn't work well in that one. So you got to make sure that they actually work and you got to train and practice with them so you're comfortable with them, you know you can get at them and you know how to use them. And you got to do that in a scenario-based training environment so that you can do it adrenalized because things are really different when you're in a crisis situation and your physiology has changed because you're scared, your heart beats changed, you're getting adrenalized. Uh, one of the first things to go are your fine motor skills. So if, if your tool requires you to do several things with your fingers, like fine motor movement, that's probably not going to work too well right then. So these tools can help make you safe, but you cannot rely on them. The reality is that you are your best weapon and your best tools are your brain and your mindset and your natural human weapon tools. Myth number eight is assuming that you don't need to learn self-defense at all. This is something that comes up when women are super uncomfortable 
with even the thought of having to understand violence, think about possible ways they might be attacked, and really are accustomed to depending on somebody else to take action for them. And I mean, as a society, we're very used to outsourcing things. You know, we outsource our garbage collection, we outsource our mail delivery, we outsource all kinds of things. And our personal safety is one thing that we should not outsource. Many women do. They rely on their partners, their boyfriends, their husband. Um, you know, well, he'll protect me. Well, what if he's not there? What if he's on a business trip? What if he's actually the person who is assaulting you? We can't rely on one of those people to be the knight in shining armor who rides onto the scene when danger is threatening us. They may not be there and they may not. Actually, some men aren't going to jump in and fight. You know, they're not going to put themselves between us and danger. So we really can't rely on that. A lot of women say, well, I live in a safe neighborhood. Well, guess what? Criminals and predators don't give a hoot if you live in a safe neighborhood. In fact, many of them will target a supposedly safe neighborhood because they know that people may be more lax with the security of their house or in their habits, and they might make good targets. Plus, those, quote, safe neighborhoods often tend to be the wealthier ones where there's even more resources to get if you can break into a house or you can gain access to the homeowner or the resident and terrify them or manipulate them into giving up all the the goods and resources. So this assumption that, you know, I don't need to learn because I live in a safe neighborhood. That's just bunk. Another underlying reason that people have for thinking I don't need to learn is, well, I'm a good person and I don't deserve to be hurt. And that's true. Like all of us who are good people, you know, we don't deserve to be hurt. And unfortunately, the people who are predators and criminals, they don't care. They don't care that we don't deserve to be hurt. Whether it is an opportunist who wants something that we have or a high-level apex-type predator who just sees us as a toy to play with you know, or something to collect for his, his collection of victims, they don't care that we're a good person who doesn't deserve to be hurt. The truth is there is only one person that we can absolutely 100% rely on being present and able to act in the moment when it happens. Guess who that is? That's you. It's us. We are the only ones that we can 100% count on. And that's why we need to learn what to do, how to recognize danger, how to defuse and de-escalate if we can, and how to fight like hell if we have to, even if we live in a safe neighborhood, and exactly because we're good people who don't deserve to be hurt. Myth number nine is that you should not have to know how to protect yourself. People just shouldn't do bad things. I often hear this sort of expressed as I don't want to have to learn how to protect myself. We should just teach men not to rape. And amen to that. That would be awesome if, if that were possible. I think we need to do both. 
in an ideal world, it would be true that people wouldn't do bad things. But we live in a broken world where there are people who, for a wide variety of reasons, want to use, abuse, harm, and even kill other people. That's reality. It sucks. But that's the world that we live in. And although we can work on changing that, we can work on all different aspects of how do you raise people who don't want to use, abuse, harm, and kill people. It's going to take time. It's going to take a long time. And I don't think we'll ever be able to completely eliminate people who want to predate on other people. And if that's true, then yeah, we shouldn't have to know how to protect ourselves, but we have to. We have to learn. And this is one of the things that I absolutely love about Tammy McCracken's 500 Rising program. And it's something that when I first met her and talked with her, I just had such a resounding yes response to was that the only way that we're going to change the statistics of violence against women is by building a population of women who know what to do so that the perpetrators don't have the situation that they have now, which is they can look at a woman and have a pretty high degree of certainty that she's probably not going to know what to do. She's not going to fight back, that she is just going to comply. We want a world where they look at a woman and they see the statistics, they see the probability the other way around. She probably does know what to do. She's probably going to be hard to deal with. She's probably going to hurt me. We want them to think that. And the only way that that's going to happen is by more and more and more women learning and practicing and being able to use their skills to detect and avoid danger, to defuse and deescalate, and to fight like hell if they have to. It's why we need our children to grow up, not so sheltered that they think there is no evil, no violence in the world, but knowing how to use their natural bodies, their, their minds, and how to recognize danger and what to do about it. We need to raise our kids like that. And if we do that and we're persistent and the number of Girls and women who know how to protect themselves goes up and up and up and up. Then those who want to target us are going to have to think twice, which they don't have to do right now. The last myth that I want to address in this episode is something that I see in a lot of self-defense programs that are being promoted out on the internet and at various actual physical schools, because they focus a lot on just the physical elements, the fighting elements, one of the things that they tend to do is promote this myth 
which is that the biggest threat to women is the stranger who wants to grab her off the street or sneak up on her in a parking garage or jump out at her from behind a bush. Now, it's easy to train those scenarios. And honestly, it's a ton of fun to actually do those scenarios where you know you get ambushed by, you know, a, a dude who has evil intentions and you get to fight him off. Like that is that's fun. It's empowering. And uh, I mean, you got to have good role players. Obviously, I'm not talking about just grabbing a friend and, and doing that. But in a scenario-based training program where you can do those kinds of scenarios, they're fun. They're great. And they're useful. Uh, it's a great way for women to start to get comfortable with the physical aspects of self-defense. The reality, though, is that the biggest threat to women is somebody or to a woman is somebody that she already has a connection to whether that's a friend, a coworker, an intimate partner. It could even just be the barista at the coffee shop that you see every morning. Somebody that you already have a connection to. The statistics show that upwards of 70% of women who experience an assault or an attack experience that from somebody that she already knows. So, while it's okay and it's a good thing to do to learn how to fight off a stranger, we really have to learn how to deal with a threat from somebody that we know. And one of the big distinctions here is, you know, Coach Blower, he's just such a font of incredible insights. I just love working with him. And one of the things that I learned from him very early on, uh, came when he asked the question, where, where do you get hit first in a fight? And I asked that in my classes. And you know, the common response is, you know, probably in the face. You know, maybe, you know, in the stomach, but probably in the face, maybe in the arm. And the truth is the first place that you get hit in an assault or a violent encounter is in the emotions. You get hit in the emotions, you get that mental, emotional shock and surprise. Because it's a person that you know, it's a person you have a connection to, often it's a person who is supposed to love you and care for you, care about you. There is this incredible moment of this can't be happening, this sort of disbelief that somebody that is our friend, uh, somebody that's our coworker, somebody who loves us, you know, as a, as a boyfriend or an intimate partner is actually doing this. And that is a really difficult thing to get past. Many women will say that they have no problem whatsoever striking or hurting a complete stranger, you know, some random dude in the bar who, you know, takes a grab or gets in their face and tries to kiss something like that. No problem. No problem nailing a stranger, but it's a totally different ballgame when it's somebody that you know and you have a connection to. It can be so much harder because we're good people. We don't want to hurt other people, and we particularly don't want to hurt people that we know and care about. So what do we do to address this myth? Well, number one is we got to be honest about it and say, yeah, there is a threat from strangers. Absolutely. I mean, women get abducted, assaulted, you know, raped by strangers all the time. However, 
the biggest threat to women comes from people that they know. And we've got to talk about that and we've got to work through the mental and emotional preparation. We've got to help women get in touch with why do they need to survive this? Why do they need to protect themselves? And definitely teach women how to navigate through fear. Because having somebody that you know attack you produces an incredible, oh shit, fear spike. And we got to help women learn what to do in that situation because it's not easy, but it can be done. And the odds are good that if you are attacked or assaulted, it's probably going to come from somebody that you know, whether casually or intimately. So that is a huge myth. And I think that those programs that really only focus on stranger danger type things really do women a disservice and they're not hitting the biggest threats. So those are the 10 myths that I wanted to address today. I'm just going to run through them again just to remind you what they were. The first one was that self-defense is just about fighting. It's not. It's about mindset, mental, and emotional preparation. The second one is, if I learn how to protect myself, I'll attract violence. Actually, you'll probably avoid violent encounters better, and you'll attract good people who are all about empowerment, courage, and looking out for each other. The third one is, I'm too small, old, weak, and out of shape to protect myself. Bad guy's just going to overpower me. The truth is you're a human weapon, and as a human being, you are born with all the tools you need, and you just need to learn how to use them. The fourth is it takes years to learn how to be safe. The truth is if you're learning a martial art that's full of complex choreographed movement, yeah, it'll take you a while to learn that and master that. But to learn how to be safe, that doesn't take years. It can take hours. Uh, You can certainly invest weeks into it. And if you're like me and you you really want to go with it, you can invest years in it because there's always more to learn. But you can actually get safer in just a matter of hours. Myth number five is I'll be too scared to do anything. I'll just freeze or comply. Nope. You may be scared. You will be scared. But you can learn how to navigate through fear. And you can create mental blueprints to give your brain some new software that will help get you into action quickly. Myth number six is that all violence is bad. Well, it's not. We can't cede that territory to the bad guys. We've got to claim our own ability to be violent in order to protect ourselves. And we do that by remembering that we're not the ones asking for it. We didn't initiate it. They did. And we have every right to use whatever violence we need to, to make it out safe, to go home to our families, and to carry on with our lives. Myth seven is that carrying tools makes you safe. Well, tools can help, but tools are only as good as your ability to access them and actually use them. And your best tools are your brain, your mindset, and your natural human weapon tools. Myth nine is I don't really need to learn this. Somebody else will take care of it for me. The truth is you are your own first responder and the only person you can count on being on the scene when danger threatens you is you. Myth nine, 
is that you shouldn't have to know how to protect yourself, that people just shouldn't do bad things. Well, in the ideal world, that would be true, but we don't live in an ideal world. We live in a broken world, and we do have to know how to protect ourselves. And increasing the number of women and girls who know how to do that is exactly the way that we're going to change the situation so that predators and perpetrators of bad things have to think twice instead of just assuming, as they do now, that they can get away with it. And myth number 10, the last one of this series, is that the biggest threat to women is the stranger who wants to grab her off the street or sneak up on her. Nope. Unfortunately, the biggest threat to women is somebody that she knows. And we've got to learn what to do and how to deal with the emotional impact of having somebody that you know, especially when it's an intimate partner who is supposed to love you and care about you, take action to harm you. So those are 10 of the common myths about self-defense. I would love to hear from you some of the other things that you've heard or that you believe because you know there's really no end to these myths these beliefs about self-defense and and I really love to address the ones that keep women from actually taking action to learn because I think we all have the right to walk on the planet with confidence and to do what we want to do and go where we want to go and be with who we want to be with and not feel like we have to be paranoid or scared. And the best way for me to help women is to be able to address some of these myths and false beliefs to make it more accessible and less of a challenge to actually take that step to learn, uh, whether that's with me or with, with somebody else. It uh, doesn't matter to me. I just I want more women and more girls to learn what they need to know so that they can protect themselves mentally, emotionally, psychologically, and physically. This is the Born to be a Badass podcast. Stay safe and be a badass. You've been listening to the Born to be a Badass podcast, the groundbreaking show that shines the light on women, violence, and safety, life after trauma, and how to build personal power and courage. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode and share it with your friends, family members, and colleagues. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review that will help our show reach more women around the world. Tune in regularly for more exciting conversations full of insights and wisdom you won't hear anywhere else. And until next time, embrace your inner badass.